Geekville Radio. This is the way. This is the way. Hello once again, all you geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville, and the host of Geekville Radio coming at you with a review, actually a pair of reviews here, kind of a Star Wars double whammy. We are going to be talking the season premiere for The Mandalorian, the long-awaited season three premiere. The episode is called The Apostate, and it debuted this week on Disney+. Plus. I know some fans were not happy about uh, The Book of Boba Fett, where they took a couple episodes of that, where Boba Fett seemed to take a back seat in his own show, and we got kind of a season 2.5 of The Mandalorian. I'm not really going to get into that, because I didn't really have a problem with it. At the time, it's happened in comics before. It's happened in Doctor Who, where the Doctor will only be in an episode for a couple minutes. But we'll stay focused on The Mandalorian here. But after we're done talking the season premiere, we will talk the second season of The Bad Batch, at least as far as it's gotten. Now, with The Mandalorian, one of the things that I loved right off the bat, I thought it was a really cool creative touch, was the opening scene. We saw the armorer preparing a helmet, molding it together with all of the metals and whatever liquid she uses to forge said armor and we see a child about grade school maybe junior high school age getting officially inducted into the tribe big ceremony the whole nine yards and we just assume that this is a flashback and this is a young Din Djarin first getting sworn in as official part of his tribe but then we get the giant reptilian monster, kind of half turtle, half gator, almost dinosaur size, so a turtle gator saurus, gator saurus, turtle saurus. I'm not quite sure which one of those would fit. But when all looked lost, and it looks like this giant turtle gator saurus was going to gobble up all the Mandalorians, we actually see Din Djarin sweep in blow up the creature, a bunch of guts laying all around. They probably had enough food for the rest of the harvest season. And we see that this is actually present day, or at least as present day as the story goes. It was not a flashback sequence. So I thought that was a cool way to kick off the season. And as the trailer implied, it looks like the bulk of this season will be Mando's quest for redemption and the possible rebuilding of Mandalore because this season does look like it's going to be following the same format as the previous two seasons where we have a major quest that is the goal of the season and then you get some episodes where there are some side quests like last year with the rescue of Frog Lady which everybody seemed to love. I actually liked the Frog Lady episodes myself. But we also find out when it comes to revisiting Mandalore, not everybody is on board with this idea, namely Bo-Katan, because she is supposed to be the rightful ruler of Mandalore, 
Well, not only does she not have the Darksaber, but the Mandalorian people have been scattered because of all the infighting with the clans and the native Mandalorians like her. Now, this season does take place a considerable amount of time after season two. I remember hearing the two-year number being thrown around by Jon Favreau. I'm not sure if that's in-universe two years or the real-world two years. Because it was two years ago that season two wrapped up. So I think it's possible he was more meaning that Din and Baby Yoda have been gone for two years as far as their own show. I can't prove that if I'm wrong. I'm certainly open to correction. You can look at the show notes at geekwellradio.com slash 324 or correct me on social media, Geekville Radio, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But this is definitely taking place sometime after season two because when we get our return to Navarro, it's become quite the thriving community. Yeah, it's no longer the seedy underworld like it was in the first season, even in the second season where you saw some semblance of change. And Grief Karga is now the high magistrate when he was only the magistrate in the previous season. And I guess that implies that there's low and possibly medium magistrates somewhere besides him. But with this quest for redemption, I think there's a lot of fun stuff to go through here. I'm not going to recap it scene for scene, but in true shared universe fashion, we did get some teases for other series. And this whatever you want to call it, Filoni-verse or Favreau-verse or not sure what you could call it, but at least in this little corner of the Star Wars universe. Because while Mando's en route to Navarro, Grogu is sitting in the droid cockpit of the ship and he sees those silhouettes of the uh, purdy space whales. Now, for those of you who saw those whales and was wondering what they were, they were last seen in the finale for the animated series Star Wars Rebels. It wrapped up a few years back and they actually played a pretty important role in that finale. They actually jumped into hyperspace with Ezra Bridger and Grand Admiral Thrawn among them. And yes, you heard that correctly. These giant space whales can travel through hyperspace naturally with no technological assistance. I don't know how that's possible. Maybe they'll explain it, or maybe they won't. I don't think it's necessarily something you need to explain. I mean, this is Star Wars. This is a fantasy sci-fi land. It's no less... Uh, Weird to me than a laser swords. But Navarro, like I said, looks much less crime-ridden. There's tour guides, tourists, business travelers. Grief even mentions that they're part of a major trade route now, which probably explains all the money coming in. And I've said it before, I'm a big fan of Carl Weathers. And I think he is the perfect guy for the role of Grief Cargo. And it is nice to see Grief get a little more humorous here and there, kind of his funny quirks, because he was so serious in the first season. The stuff like the little droids carrying his cape around, and him saying, oh, you can just come here and live with us. Oh, yeah, hey, well, you know, you can settle down. 
And I mean, not not really begging, but you know, just kind of like a "Hey, buddy, you know, we got some nice land here." And probably the biggest sign that Navarro's bounty hunter days are over is the actual bounty hunter guild building that we saw in season one is now a school. That was the building that the bounty hunters used to get their jobs at. So I mean, if that's anything you could point at as far as a single biggest sign of change i would say it's that the bounty hunter guild where people were sometimes getting murder missions it's now a school where they're teaching kids presumably good things now speaking of the bounty hunters we did get an introduction of two potentially new villains there is vain the nick to But he is a Nick 2 bounty hunter. We were also introduced to a pirate captain, you might say, Gordian Shard, who looks like Seaweed Beard, the space chia pet from hell. I'm so glad I was not eating spinach or salad when he showed up. I probably would have puked up my salad on the spot. But they look like they're going to be recurring villains. I'm not sure how competent Vane is at this bounty hunting thing because we got kind of a good old-fashioned standoff outside of the school and it did not work well for him even though he and his goons outnumbered Grief and Mando and he even tried in space and that didn't work very well either. So I can't help but think that either Vane and or Gordon Shard himself are going to be the equivalent of the shaking his fist at the end of the episode, I'll get you, Gadget! We'll see. There's not too much we can go on after only seeing about, what, about 30 seconds of Gordon Shard actually on camera. But it would not surprise me if Vane winds up being the villain that's also a little bit of comic relief at the same time because he's incompetent. But we also got cameos of the Anzellan species that Babu Frick is working on IG-11. They really kind of seem the most like something George would have come up with, I think, out of the sequel trilogy. Just my opinion. don't want to upset anybody, but everybody seemed to like those critters, and I think they did seem the most like something George would have come up with. Maybe that in the BB-8. But when we briefly did get IG-11 resurrected. It looked like it was something right out of a Terminator movie. With him crawling with one arm and just trying to kill Grogu and Grief and Mando or tossing around Grogu like he's a football and I'm sure Grogu must have loved that. Like the episodes of Dinosaurs where the baby get tossed against the wall and then just yell, again! And also for a guy who really hates droids, uh, Mando is pretty good at rewiring them. But another one of the big changes here, as far as the characters go, and this arguably is probably the biggest, is Bo-Katan herself. Because when we revisit her, she's just kind of sitting in her empty throne room on her throne and isn't really ruling over anything because we've learned that there's really nothing for her to rule. She's in kind of a state of defeat for lack of a better term. Obviously, she doesn't have the Darksaber, so she couldn't really rule her people there. But all of the infighting going on with the Mandalorians 
and the clans that's also made her attempt at reclaiming the throne pretty fruitless. So I think she's just kind of gone and wallowing her misery in the throne room. But I think this was a good premiere for season three. I think it's still keeping the swashbuckling vibe. And I stand by my thought earlier that whatever team Mando puts together, I don't think it is a coincidence that the number of the team is going to number seven. Seven Mandalorians. I think we are going to get a nice tribute to the Seven Samurai, a.k.a. the Magnificent Seven. Now, how many of them are from the Watch group? How many of them he finds along the way? It certainly looks like the Watch clan are still going to be aggressors in this because it looks like they are actually landing on Navarro and possibly trying to take it over. But that's, I'm sure, still a couple episodes away. And that does pose some questions. Will Bo-Katan be convinced to join up with him? Where are some of these other Mandalorians going to come into play? What side is the armorer going to land on, especially if Din is able to show that he bathed in the living waters of Mandalore and got his redemption? Better late than dead, I always say. Moving on to the Bad Batch, the main story arc for the second season of Bad Batch does seem to center around the clones as a whole being phased out by the Empire and essentially being kicked to the curb. And also the clones realizing that the Empire destroyed their homeworld of Kamino and then publicly stating that it was a storm that destroyed the Kamino city, which is about as plausible as the glass-breaking scene in Jaws 3. Now, if you've seen Jaws 3, you know what I mean. If not, just watch Jaws 3. You'll know the scene when you see it. I'll put it in the show notes at geeklaradio.com slash 324. And there, and there are some episodes that are just going to have some people call them filler. I haven't really had a problem with it. Again, some of these are just kind of like the side quest things like we were talking about with Mandalorian. I'm also glad that Ernie Hudson got some work in Star Wars. His character, uh, Greeny Mally, I hope I'm saying that correctly. But he was in the episode titled Faster, which was kind of a return to the world of pod racing of sorts. I know some fans complained about that, but I think it felt more like a pod racing scene from episode one than something from Clone Wars, but I liked it. I didn't really have a problem with it because I took it for what it was, like I said, side quest. But we are getting the political intrigue. Lots of people asking questions. We actually got Ian McDiarmid voicing the Emperor in a cameo, whereas before it was other actors like Sam Witwer and such. Now, in the Truth or Consequences episodes, it was actually two episodes, kind of a one and two-parter. Clone Conspiracy and Truth or Consequences. Uh, it was kind of like the days of the Clone Wars where we would see two, three, or four episodes just kind of linked in a row as being one story. That's where we got our political intrigue. We also got the return of Gunji from an episode of Clone Wars. I think a lot of fans, myself included, just love the idea of a Wookiee Jedi. They're just it's two cool things 
together in one, which makes it like extra cool. We also got the return of the Zillow Beast in the episode Metamorphosis. I don't know how much more, more we'll see of them, but I think it was definitely clear even back in the Clone Wars episodes that Palpatine was secretly trying to detain the Zillow Beast and learn how to control it. It's happened in all of the monster movies in some capacity, I think. I don't know if this is the last time we'll see it or if there'll be more, but I think we're down to like the last three or four episodes coming as far as this recording. And they've actually been coming out the same day as Mandalorian, which is awesome for somebody who likes both. You know, I like the live action stuff and I like the animated stuff. But it is fair to say if you haven't watched a lot of Clone Wars, you probably would be a little bit lost on Bad Batch. It is the same animation style, but it doesn't have too many of the classic characters. You know, Clone Wars obviously had Anakin, Obi-Wan, and all of the major prequel players in it as, as regular characters. And this one does not. We might get a Rex cameo here and there, but for the most part, these are original characters. So for the Bad Batch, it may be an acquired taste. I think that is fair to say. But I've been liking what I've been seeing. Got more to come. I'll be back next week to talk the next episode of Mandalorian. And if anything else in Bad Batch jumps out, I'll talk about it as well. And if there's any news that breaks, I will cover that as well. So I know this has been a little bit shorter of an episode than what we may be used to, mainly because both episodes that I watched are less than a half hour each, so I can only dissect them so far when they're only a half hour. But this has been Geekville Radio, episode 324. You can find the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 324. You can find us on the pod platform of your choosing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, you name it. Just do a search for Geekville Radio. You can find it or just go to our geekvilleradio.com website. You can subscribe there. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. The social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are all at Geekville Radio. And you can post on the website itself. If you want to respond to any episode reviews or any of the news posted there, you should be able to post with about any social media account. It should be able to adapt to just about everything there. So I'm going to shut down the power here in the Geekville Radio studios. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be talking some more Star Wars and hopefully some news next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, A1-Wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved.